Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. First Kings chapter number 17, uh, I'm going to read about three verses of scripture, and then uh, you may be seated this evening. 1 Kings 17, starting with verse number 8. We are continuing in our series of Elijah, the character of Elijah. 1 Kings 17, verse 8, the Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise and get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there, to sustain thee skipping all the way down to the last verse in that chapter verse 24 and the woman said to Elijah now by this I know that thou art a man of God that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth for a little while tonight on this third part of the series of Elijah I'd like to speak along these lines traits of a godly person traits of a godly person and this list by no means is a, 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 an inexhaustible list here uh, we, we you could add more to this but we're just concerning Elijah here some traits that we uh, deduce of a godly person through the life of Elijah if you'll help me pray right now father I come to you this evening and I'm asking Lord God, that you would come down in this place. People have already met that halfway mark in their week. Lord, they have been bombarded with different things and circumstances and issues, Lord, in their life. I pray, oh God, that you're able to help them and strengthen them, Lord, in this place tonight. God, as we turn our attention to your word, God, that we can glean, Lord, understanding. God, that we can glean instruction. God, for we know, Lord, that all the Scripture, Lord, is profitable for doctrine. We pray, O Lord, we take these things into our life. I pray, O Lord, anoint us, God, in this place, God, that we would leave, Lord, differently, perhaps, God, than what we came. God, heal our sick and our disease, Lord Jesus. Make them completely whole, Lord, and we'll give you the praise and the honor and the glory for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that we pray, amen and amen. Shake hands with someone before you see it tonight. Be friendly if you can find it inside of yourself to do so. I will be mindful that although I got up here early, I will not try to take advantage of that. All right? Set everybody's mind at ease already. Last week we left this character Elijah at a dried up brook. At a dried up brook. That resulted from our study of last week from him praying the word of the Lord. Praying the word and the will of God. So now Elijah's brook is dried up. And the question now comes, now what? The brook's dry. Now what? I know perhaps going through his mind, I know this is the place where God had me to come and I know by all common appearances of what's taking place right now it seems like I need to do something you ever been in one of those places God take you to a place and it seemed like the resources or everything that's there runs dry and it's like I probably need to do something now don't I I probably need to react 
but the question for Elijah is, what are you going to do, Elijah? I mean, the whole land is in famine. There's a lack of rain taking place everywhere. There is no rain. Is there going to be some other riverbed that's going to be a little better than this one? I'm sure that probably all of them by that time are drying up or almost dried up. For that matter, how much can you trust uh, anything right now during a time of famine of no rain? So what, what are you going to do? Uh, but here's Elijah, no doubt, looking at a situation that may be telling him, hey, you can't stay here. I mean, there's no water. You can't stay here. Uh, yet there's still yet in the back of his mind, I don't know really where to go. I don't really know what to do. We find ourselves in those places of life. Man, it seems like I can't stay here, but I don't know where to go. I know that I can't remain here, but I really don't know what to do. And as a matter of fact, Scripture doesn't relate to us exactly how much time elapsed between the brook drying up and then the word of the Lord coming to him again. We don't know how much time elapsed. It could have been a day. It could have been a week. I don't know. The Bible doesn't clue us in on how much time elapsed. But nevertheless, whether it was a day or whether it was a week, Elijah, I think it's important to see the response of Elijah, that Elijah didn't respond by hewing out his own direction. He didn't respond by just charting his own path and his own way. Because something that I've learned personally in my life, and I try to tell people as well, is that whenever you don't know what to do, and when you don't know where to go, you don't do anything. Amen. Because sometimes we get in our crawl this idea, well, I just, I have to respond. I got to do something. And we get ourselves in a lot of trouble like that sometimes. Rather than just waiting, I know it's the evil word of the Christian faith, waiting on the Lord. Waiting on the Lord. Abraham would have done him and his life and descendants a whole lot better if he had waited on God. Whenever God said, I'm going to give you a promised child, but he got a little antsy. Well, we got to do something. Finds a Hagar, the handmaiden, goes into her and has a child, but that child would not be the child of promise. As a matter of fact, that would provide a lot of trouble through the history of Israel, that sect of people through Ishmael, all because somebody wasn't willing to wait on the Lord. And so when you don't know what to do, my advice to you tonight is don't do anything. Wait. Until the word of God comes to you. So one of the godly traits of a person, I believe, of Elijah tonight is this, is that he was a person of patience. He was a person that knew how to wait until the word of God comes. So he didn't chart his own path. He didn't, whenever the brook dried up, packed up his bags and said, well, I guess I'll go over here or I'll go there. No, that was not his reaction. He said, God told me to come here and I'm going to be here till God tells me to go somewhere else. Or until God says to leave. And as a result of that, he waited upon the Lord because there are some problems with being impatient. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament Scripture that Saul got impatient. He got impatient with Samuel, the prophet's arrival. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 10 and verse number 8, Samuel had spoken unto Saul, and he says, And thou shalt go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down unto thee to offer burnt offerings and to sacrifice sacrifices of peace offerings. He says, Seven days shalt thou tarry till I come to thee, 
and shew thee what thou shalt do. So Saul, go to Gilgal, remain there for seven days until I come, and then we'll talk about what should be done, what should be take place. Well, history records what actually happened. You heard the command, now we're going to look at the obedience or lack thereof in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and verse number 8. And the Bible says he, speaking of Saul, tarried seven days. That's a good boy, Saul. Great job. He tarried seven days according to the set time that Samuel had appointed. But Samuel came not to Gilgal, and the people were scattered from him. And Saul said, bring hither a burnt offering to me, in verse number 9, and peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. Wrong. It's day seven, but because I don't know if it was in the morning time, evening time, or when this all happened, but it's day number seven, and evidently uh, Saul's getting a little giddy here. He's like, I need to do something. Uh-huh. I need to do something. It's the seventh day. I don't see him anywhere. Well, I guess I might as well step in. But remember what the word of the Lord says in verse 12 of this same chapter. Therefore said I, whenever Saul was explaining this to Samuel, because Samuel come right after he had just offered this burnt offering, that Saul said to Samuel, Therefore said I, the Philistines will come down now upon me to Gilgal, and I have not made supplication to the Lord, and I forced myself therefore and offered a burnt offering. Amen. Samuel didn't arrive just when Saul expected him to. He said day number seven. He didn't give a particular time of the day. He just said at the seventh day. He said, but definitely wait till I come. And so Saul goes on and does something. And he does, and the Bible says that he forced himself to do that. Now that didn't turn out too well, did it? Amen. For Saul and the nation of Israel. If I might say it like this, it's better to wait on the Lord. And a good rule of thumb is this. If you are forcing yourself in a choice, or if you are forcing yourself in a decision, the outcome probably isn't going to be too favorable. If you're making a choice and you're having to force yourself into that, or you're trying to make a decision, you're weighing something in the balance, you're forcing yourself a certain direction, I would dare to say that's, that's probably not God's will. You know, there's something about being unsettled anytime you make a decision. But I believe you can be unsettled with confidence. Amen. In verse number 8, notice again in our scripture reading of 1 Kings 17 that the word of the Lord, we've seen this already before, that the word of the Lord comes unto Elijah. Again, please denote this is the second time we see this occurring in Scripture because it happened also in verse number 2. Nothing is said about Elijah seeking it out, searching for it, looking under rocks, uh, having to get all the, uh, all the uh, numeral representation of the Hebrew words just right and it adding up to 17. And You understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, he's not looking for a sign in the cloud or a pot of goat at the end of the rainbow. The word of the Lord came unto him. And the question is, though, how is it, Brother McGee, that Elijah knew that that was the word of the Lord? I mean, how, how could he discern between the word of the Lord from his own wishes and desires? Because I know I'm sitting here before people that sometimes have problems. Is that me or is that God? Is that my flesh and my wishes and my desires or is this God? Well, one thing, this isn't the first time Elijah ever heard or had the word of God come to him. Amen. So this isn't the first time he's ever been exposed to that or heard the word of God. 
But number two, this voice that was telling him to do something, it was telling him to do something that required Elijah's sole dependence on someone or something rather than himself. Uh-huh. He says, I want you to go down to Zarephath and I'll have a widow lady that will be there to sustain you. In other words, I'm asking you to do something that does by no means depend upon yourself. You can't make it happen. You can't make it successful. It's dependent upon somebody else. Might even go to the degree that it's dependent upon me. If it's a choice or decision that you can't make happen, but it has to take a God factor. Someone say amen. Then there's a good probability that that is the word of the Lord that's coming to you. Because it isn't always, well, it looks like that's the way it should be and it worked real well that way that, well, it's the will of God. More cases than not, the opposite is true. I was listening a few days ago and I was listening to uh, an old, old tape of Jeff Arnold and uh, he shared the story about whenever he's at the church, he is there in Gainesville now that before he ever went there, he went to try out uh, for a different church and that he and his wife at that time were evangelizing and they had been uh, praying and fasting for a couple of years uh, about what God would have for them to do in their life, to know the mind of God. And uh, when they had went to the church that they are at now, when they ever went there and had revival, they had good revival. But he said it was always those points in time, you know, you wipe the sweat off your head and say, I'm glad this is over, let's go on down the road. And uh, so he went to try out for another church, though, before they arrived at the one they are at now, presently. And whenever they went down there and tried out for the church, uh, they took a vote uh, for him to become pastor. And he got 100% of the votes of the people uh, for him to become their pastor. And as they were driving back to their locality of home there in the state of Florida, uh, he said his wife could tell that something was wrong with him. He's kind of just, uh, mm, you know, over there as he drove. And, and uh, she says, don't tell me. He says, don't tell you what? She says, you're not going to take this pastor. He said, no, I'm not going to take it. She said, they gave you 100% of the votes. He says, I don't care. It's not the will of God for me to go there. See, to the common man, you say 100% of the votes. Man, that's God's will. You can't always gauge God's will because it looks right or it sounds right. Because that's what's appealing to your human side. Hey, man, we're going to go on God's will. I wouldn't be, if we're going to go on what looked good or looked right, I wouldn't be here today. I, I could identify with him. He said he didn't want to go to the church that he's at. Now, I didn't want to come here. But that wasn't God's will for this point of time in my life. See, the majority, because you start pulling around, you know, we start getting a little Robbie in and on. What do you think about this? You ever, you know, some people use that in the multitude of counselors, their safety to really a, a, a bad place because they're just really trying to figure out where everybody stands, see if they can get a majority consistency, and that's what they're going to do. Well, let me tell you, the majority consensus of people doesn't necessarily indicate the will of God either. In 1 Samuel, as a matter of fact, in 1 Samuel chapter number 8, and if I could say another godly trait then of an individual as we're talking about this, another godly trait of an individual is whenever they show dependence on something else besides themselves, mainly God. 
1 Samuel chapter number 8, the nation of Israel. Samuel has been their prophet. His two sons are not in a place or a position to follow in their daddy's footsteps of being a prophet and help being the voice of God for the nation of Israel. So they get this bright idea. Why don't you give us a king like all the other nations have? 1 Samuel chapter 8 and verse number 4. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel unto Ramah. So here's all the elders. Man, these are uh, the men of the, uh, of, of the children of Israel, the elders, the wise, uh, the seers. The Lord, they come together and send to him, Behold, thou art old, my sons walk not by ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing, look, the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people in all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them according to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. So all the elders of the people, of the nation of people came together. They're saying, set a king over us. And basically, set a king over us instead of a prophet. Set a king over us, but it wasn't God's will. Yes, God told Samuel, hearken unto the voices of the people. But in doing so, I want you to warn them. And you can see it in Scripture. He says, I want you to warn them what a king is going to do. He's going to take their sons and make them drive his chariots and do be over his horsemen. He's going to take their daughters and make them uh, people that are confectionaries, that they could be cooks and they can be bakers and they can be this and that and your best men servants and maid servants. He's going to pull from you and endorse in his kingdom. So go on and hearken to the voices of people, but warn them about what will happen if they place a king over them. And time begins to reveal how wrong it was for a king, namely King Saul, to reign over the nation of Israel. But the elders were in agreement. That still did not constitute the will of God. Somebody needs to ask, well, what does... They need to be like the, the boys that pulled uh, the lady in adultery and John uh, to the Lord and said, Moses' law says we should stone her. Somebody needs to stop and say, but what do you say? <laughs> Amen. So he told Samuel to hearken to their voices. And this is just my own opinion. But one of the reasons why I believe he said that is because he knew the nature of humanity. That people's going to do what people's going to do. Amen. So just because something seems right doesn't make it right. Things can appear right and still be wrong. You can be doing the right thing the wrong way. In 2 Samuel 6, when David went and got the ark of God, he was doing the right thing, bring the ark of God back to Jerusalem. But it being on a new cart was doing it the wrong way. Not only can you be doing the right thing the wrong way, you can be doing the right thing the wrong time. That's what I was alluding to Sunday night, hoping we wasn't transgressing. Because there can be untimely figs. Yes, they're figs, but they're untimely. They're green, they're premature, immature. Amen. So, you, you, so just because something seems right doesn't mean it's right. So my, my admonition to us is that we need to do the right thing the right way at the right time. And the only way you'll get that accomplished is if you let the word of God come to you. Amen. 
Jeremiah 10, 23 said, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walketh to direct his steps. I got to depend upon someone beyond myself. I need to depend upon the Lord. Look again, if you will, concerning, and we'll get into this. I'm telling you, we will. But when we look at the scripture again, that this brook has dried up. Amen. Look what happened in that scenario. Now, I'm just going all based upon where Scripture is silent, okay? I don't know really what happens. So I'm just tending to believe something did happen here. Elijah's natural means of provision stopped when the brook dried up. That little bubbling brook that came down that he uh, took some water from every day, it dried up. The natural means of provision stopped. But nothing has told us of the supernatural, of the raven who was the meat-eating bird bringing meat to Elijah in the morning, and in the evening. Nothing is told to us about that provision stopping. So I believe in my little mind's eye, if it didn't tell me it didn't stop, that it's continued. So we have a natural provision that stopped, a supernatural, a supernatural provision that is continuing, and I believe there's somewhat of a principle of a lesson then that is taught to us there in Scripture. Because by and large, people, humanity, we are mostly dependent most of the time, heavily upon the natural things of our life and the natural means of our life. And many times people don't resort to the spiritual until the natural's dried up. A lot of times it's the last resort spiritual things are. I'm just speaking for humanity tonight. However, we understand then through Scripture when the natural ceases, there's still the existence of the supernatural. When there's no more bubbling brook that's coming down to the aid of Elijah, the supernatural is still there. And so that, that illustrates to me where my focus and my attention then needs to be. It needs to be on the spiritual. It needs to be on the supernatural. Because when all these other things fail me, that's still going to be intact. Amen. 2 Corinthians 4.18 tells us while we look not at the things which are seen but at the things which are not seen for the things which are seen are temporal but the things which are not seen are eternal that's what I want to plug into I want to plug into a eternal provision help, instruction, guidance, aid so he's told here in scripture Elijah go on down to Zarephath we looked at Cherith a few weeks ago, maybe even a little bit last week, Sheriff, that place, the cutting or the cut down, a separating place, a place where a man could be humbled, but now he's asked to go to Zarephath, which means refining, or it comes from a root word that means the crucible. I want you to go down to the refining house, Elijah. I want you to go down to the crucible. I want you to go down to the place where metals are melted, where the dross is separated from the metal. I want you to go down. So we're not done with this. I mean, I thought I was going to Cherif and spend some time here, and I could, you know, just kind of put that on the wall, been there, done that, bought the T-shirt, and we're done with this. But you're telling me now I'm going to a place where there's still going to be some separation happening? That you're going to put me in the furnace and you're going to turn up the heat? And you're doing that for purpose of getting the impurities out of my life and you're going to pull that dross off of my life. And he said, not just that, but go down to Zarephath, which belongeth unto Zidon. Wait a minute. He said, Jezebel, Ahab's wife, is a Zidonian. 
Her father is over that area. They're a heathenistic land. Those are a bunch of Gentiles over there. Those are heathens. They serve false gods. And you, here I am already in danger in the land of Israel, already here at danger. And you want me to go into a land that serve heathen gods to this Zidonian place where Jezebel herself and father and them are from? You want me to go there? Bell worship, it's not just happening on and off there. It's happening all the time there, God. I mean, they're, they're sacrificing to this false idol and you're encouraging me and endorsing me to go there. You're asking me to go to the place of origin of Baal worship? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> no one's going to go there. No prophet's going to go there in his right mind. Not to mention that from Cherith to Zarephath is about a 75 to 100 mile trip and there's no rain there's a lack of water and I got to travel 75 to 100 miles and I've already been without some water for a few days here at the brook and you want me to travel this distance across the desert? What in the world is going on? Because I thought I was just arriving in ministry. I mean, I gave my 75 word message to King Ahab and I thought I was arriving in ministry here and I was speaking to the king of Israel and I, man, I really had some clout in doing all this but now you want me to go outside of Israel and you want me to go to a heathen land and you want me to do some ministry there? Let me say the true ministry is outside of your familiar and comfortable scope. He said, God said, I want ministry to go beyond Israel, Elijah. I want it to go to a Gentile. These people are heathens. They don't know anything about God. He said, so I'm taking you from here to go do ministry over here in the place of Zidon, over here in the, among this Baal worship and these false gods. Now, imagine, is this the will of God? Because see, this doesn't sound reasonable, Lord. This, this, this isn't logical, God. This isn't the path of least resistance, Lord. Is this God's will? Ladies and gentlemen, we've been called to a faith walk. This is a faith walk. This is not a sight walk. This is a faith walk. I even dare to say this isn't a common sense walk. This is a faith walk. And most of the things, let me speak personally, most of the things and moves that I've made in my life, when I quit my job, started evangelizing, left evangelizing, went to the boys, left the boys, came here, all of those different scenarios and in between over the past several years, most of the times that I have seen things happen in my life and the handiwork of, my, of God happen in my life, it's when what was told to me to do did not make sense. Yes, it did not make sense. It wasn't logical. It wasn't reasonable. It wasn't the path of least resistance. It did not make sense to my humanity. It did not reason well. And yet in every step, smack dab in the will of God. I'm going to say a bold statement right here and I might lose some people. They might say you're way off. But let me say this. If it's capable of happening without the intervention of God, then it's probably not God. If you can do it without God's involvement, if it can get done, if that choice and decision can happen without God's involvement, then it's probably not God. Someone say amen. If you can manage and critique and somehow make the outcome result for yourself, 
Probably not God. Everybody with me here this evening. Later, Elijah, later in the story, we'll get there eventually, not tonight, but later, Elijah states, he states with confidence on Mount Carmel, where he has the prophets of Baal and those of the grove there. He states with confidence. He tells them, if the Lord be God, he said, follow him. If the Lord be God, follow him. The reason why Elijah could say that is because he's lived the life. He's lived the life up to that point in time. That the Lord was his God, or God was his Lord. And as a result of it, he's followed him to Cherith. As a result of it, he has followed him to the Gentile Baal worshiping Zarephath region. And if I may even rearrange his statement that if the Lord be God, follow him. If I may rearrange it for the clarity of a point tonight. If God is your master. Word Lord basically means master. But if God is your master, then follow him. The statement I made yesterday, and if anybody follows me on Twitter, sometime you might have insight to what's going on Wednesday nights before it ever gets here. I tweeted just the other day and put it maybe in more of a concentrated terms. You will follow whatever or whoever masters you. You will follow whoever or whatever masters you. And when you quit obeying or quit following your master, he's no longer your master and you're no longer his servant. Amen. Oh God. So if you want to know who your master is, look ahead of you and see what you're following. Who or what you're following. Because you'll follow who masters you. In verse 9, look at it again. The Spirit of the Lord comes to him just as in, in Cherith. And has taken care of arranging the provisions for the man of God before he ever arrived on the scene. I have commanded, I have commanded a widow to sustain him there. Verse 9 has a few commands in it for Elijah. Basically the commands are these. Let me back up. Another trait. I'm going to skip over these. I'm hoping you just pull them out. Another trait of a godly person would be a follower. Someone that is a follower. So we have someone that is patient, that can wait. Somebody that has dependence on one beyond themselves and one that can follow and is a follower. The three commands in verse number nine is, he said, arise and get thee down and dwell. And I like the response in verse 10. So he, Elijah, arose and went. And it's from this verse and the verse, verse number 5, we've seen his response also whenever he was talking about Cherith. The Bible says that he, so he went and did. And it's with all this, man, I really begin to admire the character of Elijah. Because there's something that's constantly being indelible in his life that's being pointed out to me. That Elijah is a man of obedience. God says go. And he goes. God says do this. And he does this. He has an obedient lifestyle. Amen. And yet James told us that he was a man subject to like passions as are we. Subject to like passions as are we, yet look at the mark and example of obedience. You know what that does? That gives me hope. 
I likewise, in, with the same tenacity, can be obedient to my Lord as Elijah because he is a man subject to like passions as are we. When God says go, I can go. When God says do, I can do. Without hesitation. He gives me hope tonight because Elijah, our first lesson, was just a man. Amen. He was just a man. So there's some traits that start to come forth that I see in the life of Elijah, especially going to Cherith and Zarephath. Some other traits of a godly person, I would believe that Elijah was a man of humility. And secondly, he was a man then also of obedience unto his Lord. So he goes down to Zarephath as instructed of the Lord. Whenever he gets there, there's a widow out there at the city gate. She's gathering a few sticks together. And he asks of this widow, of this lady, he doesn't know if it's her or not. I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. But he asks of this lady if he could have some water. And as she is going to fetch the water without a word spoken, he then says, hey, would, would, you, would you bring me a little morsel of bread also? And man, something struck right there in her spirit. He struck a chord, I guess, about what was going on in her life. And she just begins to wail back to him. She says, I'm here to tell you, I don't have much. We don't have much to eat. She says, I just have a handful of meal and a, a little oil and a cruise. And I'm picking up these sticks and we're going to make one last meal for me and my son. And we're going to die. Now, wouldn't that be a great place God, for God to send you to be sustained? Now, wouldn't that really increase your hopes that God says, this is where I want you to go? And the lady that he has for you says, we're about ready to eat our last meal ourselves and die. That's real encouraging, isn't it? That there goes to show you can't always depend on the will of God to be the road of smooth bliss and roses everywhere planted and everything just works out handy dandy. Sometime you meet up with a widow that has two sticks in her hand, just a little bit of food and says, we're about ready to die. You want to join the party? There he is. He must have. I don't know. If I was him, I know me. If I was him, I'd think, man, this is just great. I've traveled 75 to 100 miles. I mean, at least, you know, the Bible didn't say anything about the, the meat stopping for him back there. You know, at Cherub, I've traveled 75 to 100 miles, and we're about ready to die. Notice what happens, though. The miraculous is about ready to take place. Here it seems like Elijah's entering into another test or another trial. I want you to notice something though. What's about ready to take place though was a miracle. His ministry is about ready to come forth again. And I think it's important for us to just, just kind of hone in here for a moment that sometimes our trials often become vehicles for ministry. Amen. Our individual trials become vehicles for ministry. To minister to somebody else. And look what's taking place here. This is just stupendous for Elijah. God has been teaching him something and he's been a good student. He's been a good follower. God says go, he goes. God says do this and he does this. Now look what happens with Elijah here. Elijah begins teaching the widow the lessons he's learned. He begins to teach her that there is a blessing in obedience because after she retorted with those words he spoke to her and said hey 
Fear not, lady. Don't worry about uh, the lack of meal and the lack of oil. Amen. Here in verse number 14 to verse 17, or chapter 17, he says, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the, the day the Lord send rain upon the earth. In other words, he said, Go, go prepare me a little cake first amen and bring it to me and the meal it, it's not going to waste the oil it's not going to go he says go and do this that's what he said in verse 13 go and do this so see what he's doing god had told him go and do and elijah went and he done exactly what the lord wanted now it's lesson time he's entered now into the office of the teacher so i want to teach you some lessons i've learned a blessing in obedience he says go and make me a little cake first. And go and do this in verse number 13. Go and do as thou hast said. And look at verse number 15. She's a good student. Man, she has the spirit of Elijah upon her in verse number 15. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. She and he and her house did eat many days. Lesson executed lesson learned he said I told you there's a blessing in obedience I've learned it at Cherif and I'm learning it now and now he passes on the lesson to someone else his trial became a place of ministry for somebody else in other words what he did for her was basically do this this is what God asked me to do this is how I reacted this is what God did now I'm asking you do this and do it and see what God does he's not no any respecter of persons if he did that for me at Cherith he's going to do this for us here at Zarephath amen promise did not come about to be a full barrel of meal the promise was not for a full cruise of oil but it was basically that the handful of meal she had would not diminish and the oil that she had would not diminish it's not necessarily they went in and the barrel was full to the top and the cruise was full to the top I like the way many years ago Bishop he would man, play it out you know she'd go in there and get that handful of meal for, for the bread of that day and go back and there's a handful of meal there <laughs> go get that little that little cruise of oil and use that up for this meal and lo and behold go back and there's the same amount there that there was whenever she took it the first time Amen. There was just a never-ending supply. It's not that it became more abundant, but there was always enough. It was always sufficient. I tell you what, I know in my life that there's probably more times there's not surplus. <laughs> there's not surplus or a superabundance, but I can testify there is always enough. Amen. And when I need it and go back to that place, there's always enough again. He's a sufficient enough God. They ate many days. Thank God for that. Yes, you know, another lesson that we can pull from this idea of the story, and that is never judge or measure God's supply by what you see. That's right. Never measure or judge God's supply by what you see. They ate many days. He said, this is going to be like this until rain comes again. I don't know how much time elapsed for that. I don't know. It could have been a few years. I mean, he went down to Cherif just right after he gave the decree of three and a half years. As we understand Scripture, there was three and a half years. I don't know how long he was at Cherif per se or how long he was here, but evidently there was many days. But regardless, there was sufficient. There was enough. 
Amen. If they were just going off of the way things appeared, <laughs> they'd be trying to find somebody else's house to eat dinner at next day. But you can't judge or measure God's supply by what you see. Because whenever you do that, you'll be like some of us react and we'll get antsy like we got to do something. Because we're basing it all on what we see, what we're observing, even maybe what we're hearing. You need to block all that out, folks. And you need to listen for the word of the Lord. Listen for the word of the Lord. Now look at this. This widow lady, whenever she first met Elijah and they first had this encounter, we're preparing the meal, we're going to eat, and we're dying. Okay? I can tell you the, our plans for the next little while. We are going to die. <laughs> but then this miraculous provision of meal and oil came on. And it sustained her. It sustained her family. It sustained the prophet. And yet she was required to bake him a little cake first and serve him and give to him first. I'm just pulling out some principles here tonight I want us to latch on to. And that is this. When you seek to help another, you'll inadvertently help yourself. I'll make him a little cake. Days from now, we're still eating cake. We still got oil. And while she helped the man of God, she inadvertently helped herself. There's a principle in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 41 that bears it out that he that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. But then all the calamity strikes. I'm trying to be mindful, folks, of your time. I don't want to wear you out. But in 1 Kings 17, 17, the calamity happened that it came to pass after these things that the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, fell sick. And his sickness was sore, that there was no breath left in Elijah first come, highly probably he was going to die because of a lack of food. That wasn't the problem here now. There's plenty there to sustain them, so he didn't die because of a lack of food. And it's almost heart-wrenching and hard even to bear that she would begin to think that her son died with the daily miracle of provision taking place in their home and with the prophet of God living in their house how can this be how can things turn so sour when we got miracles happen in the house and we got the prophet in the house I know some of you all been there how can this be happening when miracles happen everywhere else how can this be going on when such and such has happened for so and so I mean I could handle a little bit of this you know, spread it around, Lord. <laughs> Don't get stingy. How can this happen with all this taking place? Ladies and gentlemen, you know, God is a mysterious thing. His ways are higher than our ways, and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. In the times of the Romans, they had a method that they would thresh grain, and one man was always seen as stirring up the sheaves while another would ride over them with a a crude cart that was equipped with rollers and instead of wheels and on those rollers they had sharp stones and rough bits of iron that were attached to them those cylinders and uh, what that was helping do is separate the husk from the grain and, and this simple cart that they used was called a tribulum uh, from which we get our word tribulation and uh, they would 
come across there and they would drive over that and it was separating the husk from the grain and sometimes in the great affliction that comes upon our lives we think that man we're just being torn in pieces man we're under some cruel adverse pressure what's going on this is horrific but you understand well that no thresher would ever yoke up his tribulum no one would ever just yoke that up for the person of destroying the grain He'd only take that tribulum over top of those sheaves in order to separate the chaff from the wheat. God never sets you through anything to, for your destruction or for your demise. If He sets the tribulum or the tribulation upon your life, understand well that He has a separation, amen, in mind for your life. Amen. And so... We come to a grand place no one has ever been raised from the dead before in the history of Scripture until now. This is the first occurrence of this happening. So whenever this dead boy is here and Elijah takes it and takes it up to his room, it's not like he's looking back, well, you know, uh, Noah did this once and I think I'm just going <laughs> we're just going to walk in his footsteps and paths. No. We have no recorded history until this time of someone being raised from the dead. So here comes Elijah. Man, this had to be a man of some tremendous faith. He, man, he knew nothing was impossible with the Lord. He had seen what the Lord had done in his life at every stage along the way. And the act was done. He brought that child then to his mother alive. And notice verse 24 uh, tonight that we read in your hearing. And the woman, this lady said to Elijah, Now by this I know that thou art a man of God. And that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is truth. I know you not just as Elijah the Tishbite. Because that's what he was really well known as, Elijah the Tishbite. But I don't know you just as Elijah the Tishbite, but I know you as a man of God. Why? Because of this. And let me tell you, the word this encompasses more than just the resurrection or the reviving of the life of her son. Follow with me here just for a moment. I believe the word this encompasses how Elijah handled himself and this lady during a tragic period of time in her life that proved to her that he was a man of God. It wasn't what he said that proved to her that he was a man of God, but it's what he did, how he handled himself. That proved himself to be a man of God. Men and women of God, godly traits, things of that nature, are known more by what we practice than by what we profess. Look at the scripture with me concerning this. She said, now by this I know that thou art a man of God. It encompasses more than the miracle. If you'll go back to verse number 18 of 1 Kings 17, whenever this, this, this child is sick and he dies, there's no breath in him. She says unto Elijah, what have I to do with thee, O thou man of God? Art thou coming to me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Now here is a woman that's upset. A calamity has just entered her life. She's human like all of us. She's responding like a lot of us would respond. We're trying to find somewhere to lay the blame because we can't understand why this is happening. Somebody's got to be responsible. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. We get in those modes and that's it. We got to find somebody that had, there's somebody's responsible. So we'll start casting blame. And we'll start getting attitude. And we'll get, a, we'll get a little burr in our crawl. 
And we won't mince words. And we'll get nasty. Trial tribulation comes, some Christians get the nastiest. Amen. They put the Holy Ghost on the shelf for a while. So she speaks out against the men of God. What are you doing coming here? You come here to slay my son. Now this man, just by his word and authority and the instruction of the Lord, has caused provision for them by his obedience and speaking to her and her obedience for the many days. And she's saying, you come here to kill my son. She's taking all this out upon him. But I want you to notice the response of Elijah. He doesn't speak a word back in ill manner or ill nature. He doesn't say, well, bless, blah, 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 blah. Well, who do you think you are? I traveled 75 to 100 miles over here. He didn't even have any food till I got here. No. He didn't, he didn't call him back with the argument. He did not retaliate with vicious words. Can I say it? That is one of those, by this, I know you to be a man of God. Because the way that you reacted to me, although I did all this to you during my tragic time, People don't only see whether or not we're men and women of God, how we respond in our tragic times, but how we respond to other people during their tragic times. Because they're going to speak their mind and they're going to have their nastiness. How are you going to respond to them in their tragic time? Are you going to handle it with understanding and say, well, I understand they're going through something right now. Are we going to retaliate? <laughs> I expected the silence. Look at verse number 19. This was his response. And he said unto her, Give me thy son. Man, she's just throwing up on him all of this garbage. Pardon the crudeness. But he's, she's just belched out all this stuff all over him. Give him the what for, wrecked him over the coast. And he now looks at her and says, Hey, why don't you just, why don't you just go on and just give me thy son. And he took him out of her bosom and carried him up into a loft where he abode and laid him out on his own bed. He said, why, why, why don't you give me, give me your son? She's got this dead, lifeless body in her arms. Man, this is a great part of her sorrow. This is a, this is a great part of her grief that she's holding on to. And if I could say it in these words, Elijah was just basically saying, hey, why don't you allow me to unburden you and take that? Mm -hmm. why don't you allow me to take that which is burdening you down right here that body of that dead son in your arms you know what I believe that lady was saying whenever she said by this I knew you to be a man of God not just by how you reacted to me in my trial but by you trying to help unburden the load in my trial by that I knew you were a man of God number three in verse number 20 I'm hastening to a close I've already went over 45 minutes if anybody wants to know amen but in verse number 20 the Bible says and he cried unto the Lord and said O Lord my God hast thou also brought evil upon, upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son what did he do he didn't talk about her problem to her he didn't talk about her problem to anybody else he talked about her problem to God he didn't go and tell the neighbor about how he, she raked him over the coast and I was good to her and we've had meat in this house because I, someone I'm preaching now. We've had meat. I want you to know they wouldn't be where they're at right now if it wasn't for me and they treated me that way. Mm -mm -mm. 
Let me tell you right now, he didn't do that. He took all of that to God. He took her burden to God and any trouble that he got from her to God right there in prayer. And he cried out unto the Lord. And later that lady says, By this, I know that thou art a man or a woman of God by the way you reacted to me in my trial. Talking about traits of a godly man, godly person. Number four, I'll close with this. Stan, help me out. Verse 23, all this taking place, he stretched his body upon him three times, so came back again to the boy. He's revived. Elijah, he's revived now, folks. I mean, this is the first time this has ever happened in recorded scripture. I mean, it's a, I know, you know, I know everybody's, you know, raised from the dead every other week now, you know. I'm saying this is the first time this has ever happened in Scripture. Okay, you stood, but you're not helping me real good. Um, you know, it's a possibility that the miraculous can become mundane in our life. Mm-hmm. Lose its zeal, lose its impact. And sometimes that's the reason why God causes us to move from cherished to Zarephath to because the miraculous becomes mundane. Manna from heaven, whew, white as a coriander seed, and it tastes like honey. Wow, this is great. This is tremendous. Woo! Man, and it's like on the dew when we get up in the morning, you've never seen anything like this. Let a few times pass by that falling on the ground. Manna. They're trying to grind it. They're trying to do anything they can to it. They're trying to improve upon the miraculous. Why? Because the miraculous have become mundane to them. Amen. Okay, furthermore. All right, so this great miracle happened. And he comes down in verse 23, and Elijah took the child and brought him down out of the chamber into the house and delivered him unto his mother. And Elijah said, See, thy son liveth by this. Know that they are a man of God. Not so much so. This is just my rendering. What I felt the Spirit impressed on me today. Not so much so the miracle. No doubt that's a given. But because that miracle, Elijah didn't stand there and start taking any credit for. He didn't come down and say, see what I did for you? No. He said, see, your son is alive. He didn't take no credit for what took place. Didn't take no credit for what happened. So I believe then whenever that lady spoke that word, by this, I know that you are a man of God. She encompassed all those things. By this, I know you didn't speak any vicious words to me when I spoke vicious words to you. That you tried to unburden me from what I was carrying around that was causing this pain and sorrow in my life. That you didn't talk to anybody else nor me about my problem, but you talked to God. And that you didn't take credit for the miraculous that happened. By this, I know that you are a man of God. So some godly traits, if I'll review just real quickly and then I'll be still. Amen, concerning people. We need to have godly person traits. We need to have patience, be able to wait upon the Lord, be able to have a dependence outside of ourselves. We need to be spiritual. We need to be sensitive to the spiritual things of the Lord. Amen, be able and capable to work in the ministry that's outside of that comfortable scope. All right? said, I'm not in Israel anymore. I'm in the land of a paganistic, heathenistic God. We need to have that, that, that mentality and that attitude of being a follower, having a spirit of humility and a spirit of obedience. Amen. And a spirit 
I guess it would be temperance of knowing how to handle ourselves, Not just in our situations, but how to handle ourselves when other people's going through their situations. Those are some traits of a godly man or a godly woman. Can we bow our heads in this place today? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.